Well, good morning. As Malone said, today is a day that we remember Jesus' baptism. And in addition to baptizing uh, men and women into the church today, we also remember that Jesus' ministry began with this baptism. The opening move, Jesus' opening move for His public ministry was to be baptized by John the Baptizer in the Jordan River. And so this morning what I want to do is just take a few minutes and think about why Jesus started His ministry this way. Why did Jesus make this His opening move? It's important to say that all four Gospels uh, agree that this is how Jesus began His ministry. And what we are told is that John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there was a great response. People from the whole Judean countryside, and we're told all the people of Jerusalem traveled out to John the baptizer to be baptized. And we can understand that. I think all of us have a a thirst for renewal, uh, for rebirth, for a new beginning. And that's what these people were seeking. The crowds came to John because they knew that they were not the people that God created them to be, not who they could be. And so they came to stand in the water and have John wash them of their sin. And Jesus, we're told, joins them. Now, as we think about this, there are some immediate things that that puzzle us. First off, this doesn't seem like a great way to kick off your ministry. In the retail business, and I was in the retail business for a couple years, but in the retail business, when you open a store or when you change a window, you have to make sure that there is something in it that pops, something that grabs your attention, draws people to it. When someone declares his or her candidacy for an office, they are careful to choose a venue that gets some notice, some publicity. But this opening move on the part of the Word made flesh, it is just so unnoticeable, so ordinary, so mundane. I mean, why not kick off your ministry with something big? Kick it off with a miracle or kick it off with a great teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount. But instead, what we get is Jesus standing in line, like everybody else, waiting to be washed. But more than this, and this is probably the real puzzle for us, is why is Jesus subjecting Himself to a baptism of repentance? I mean, we know why everyone else is there. They've made some bad choices. As we say, they have sinned, but not Jesus. Even John the Baptist acknowledges how strange this is for Jesus to be standing there. John says to Jesus, basically, what are you doing? Why are you in this line? You should be doing the baptizing. You should be baptizing me, not the other way around. And yet... Despite 
these, this, this puzzling nature of this opening move. Despite this, this move, it tells us so much about Jesus, and it tells us so much about God. You know, one thing that I think is true for most of us is that we tend to work pretty hard to make ourselves look good. And we all have different ways of doing this, but we all want to look good. We, we want to be well thought of. We want to be respected, admired, especially when we're making a first impression. But Jesus, in His very first move, He does the opposite. The sinless one of God, the Word made flesh, His first move is to make Himself look like a sinner. He gets in line, and He slips quietly into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River. And He doesn't do it alone. He enters the water with this whole group of people, pretty diverse group of people. I'm sure you had your ordinary, run-of-the-mill sinners with Him, but I'm also sure there's probably one or two pretty serious sinners in that group, men and women spiritually lost, coming to John to seek peace. And Jesus, He slips into the waters with them. I want to read to you from a, um, a writer who speaks about the meaning of this act. Uh, he, uh, he can articulate the meaning much better than I can, so I figured it was safer just to read this little paragraph that he wrote. It's a great paragraph, but listen to what he says. He writes, by accepting baptism, Christ identifies Himself with all people, with all sinners without exception. He identifies Himself with every sinner in need of forgiveness, salvation, and rebirth. He identifies Himself with all and with each one of us. In being baptized, He demonstrates that He came not to judge or condemn, not to bring rules and laws from outside, so to speak, from on high, from the heights of His perfection and divinity. No, He came to be united with us so that in becoming one of us, He might make us partakers of His perfect and sinless life. Christ entered our world as a child, and in His birth, he took upon Himself and made His own our human nature. The Son of God became the Son of Man. And He did this not for the righteous, but for the sinners, for the lost. He loves us with a sacrificial love. He gives Himself and His whole life to us. Here in John's baptism, He, the sinless one, joins with us sinners he, the Savior, joins with the lost, for there is no sin which can overcome God's love for us. That's worth repeating. He, the Savior, joins with the lost, for there is no sin which can overcome God's love for us. And then he ends by saying, all of this testifies that Christ desires to save us through love and only through love. But love means, above all, union with the one whom you love. As the prophet Isaiah said, He took our infirmities and bore our diseases, and with His wounds we are healed. 
Christ desires to save us through love, but love means, above all, union with the one whom you love. That's why Jesus made this His opening move. You know, this revelation about God and about the heart of God, who God is, God is it, it, it is truly revolutionary, and we need to see that. You know, in Greek philosophy, God is the supreme good. He was thought of as the creative power in the world, the source of all beauty and perfection. And we are drawn to God for His beauty, for His truth. But the idea that God would associate with the brokenness of the world, would stand side by side with us in our sin, never. No Greek philosopher would believe that. Or take, take Jewish thought, which obviously John the baptizer was clearly steeped in. He is, one of the, he is the last great prophet. But what you see in the prophets is this incredible appreciation for the holiness of God. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. But the idea that the holy God would identify with our unholiness, never. And yet again, that's Jesus' first move because that's what God does. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians in a, in a pretty daring phrase, he says, Jesus became sin for us. Paul's not saying that Jesus sinned or was a sinner, but instead that Jesus identifies Himself with us, with our predicament, with our brokenness, with our failure, so that He might be able to bring God's love and forgiveness into our lives. There's a wonderful little passage in our reading from Isaiah this morning. The prophet is foretelling the great Messiah of God who will come. And he says this about the Messiah, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not break. A reed, as we know, is a piece of grass with a, with a woody stalk. It can get bruised. It can get damaged. And the tendency is to get rid of it because it's just a piece of grass. But Jesus comes to heal it, to protect it until it's strong enough to stand on its own. A dimly burning wick He will not quench. All of us, we were meant to burn brightly with God's love, but, but for most of us, all that's left is this little wick with this tiny little flame. And so what does Jesus do? Well, He cups His hands around our weak little flame and He blows on it until it can burn on its own. As we said, when Jesus comes to be baptized, John the baptizer is confused. He pushes back. He says, this isn't right. This should not be happening. But Jesus responds. He says, no, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. 
You know, that, that, that word righteousness, it is such a uh, deep and thick and rich word in the Bible. But basically, what the word means is it means to set something right. And, and one of the fundamental teachings of the New Testament, and again, it's revealed in this opening move, but it's the truth that it is not our task to fulfill righteousness. Right, I'll say that again. It is not our task to fulfill righteousness. We can try to do it, but you're going to fail. And so Jesus comes, God comes in the flesh to fulfill our righteousness, to set us right. By the gracious humility and meekness of Jesus, He enters into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River. He enters into our sin and our brokenness to set us right. You know, the power of this day, this day that we set apart to remember Jesus' baptism, the power of this day is encountering the humble love of God who enters into our lives. And in this day, it reminds us that we are called to follow the same path. We are called to proclaim the gospel with gentleness and humility. This way of witnessing it has to start with an unwavering union with Christ in prayer and adoration and concrete works of love, of going to the places where people are suffering, standing with those who hurt, crying with those who cry, because there, there in the brokenness, in the failure, in the sin of individual lives, there you will find the gentle Jesus. And so in imitation of Jesus, the good and merciful shepherd, you and I are invited to be infused with God's love. Remembering our baptisms today, remembering them, we remember that we are called to the path of humility, the path of gentleness, the path of grateful service, so that we might bring God's hope and joy and love to this world. Amen.